0: Tegan, I think you sound different today. You mean I'm not talking in the bottom of a barrel? Is that what you sound like for real?
1: (laughs) Well, I think we'll take a moment to apologize to listeners because, you know, last week's episode actually sounded fine. Yes, it did. Because I recorded it inside my car with a different microphone. Turns out that when I moved my office into a temporary office, I got all confused with my microphone and I've been talking into it backwards.
0: (laughs) You mean the things that you've been saying have been backwards because- I'm not going to say that, but
1: I have actually gotten used to thinking backwards because I've been watching the House of Representatives all week,
0: so- There you go. That has been very- Okay, so for clarity, in the move, the microphone (laughs) got turned backwards- We've been thinking that this temporary space that you're in is like the worst acoustics ever, but instead it's just the funniest audio miscue in history. Is that what we got? Yeah,
1: sadly. And uh, it's entirely my fault, which is a little hard to admit because I'm trying to blame somebody for it. I know,
0: but you're a digital guy living in an analog world. So I think the audio is good. We're going to do one other thing in the next week. We're going to just check the gain on your microphone and some of the other levels, but I think we've got it all going here. And yes, the place where the levels are out of control, where people are speaking backwards, it's the House of Representatives. And I think we should revive the question that we've asked the last couple of weeks. Is it time to put a fork in them? Have you seen enough?
1: (laughs) I have seen enough. I don't think the Republicans can elect a speaker. (laughs) I think
0: there's going to be no winner to this election. There may not be, although the fact that you've said that on late Thursday afternoon means invariably that by the time this drops tomorrow morning, Friday morning, they will have elected someone. And we'll have to do an emergency pod. Chris, if that happens, I'll buy you lunch, okay? Okay, I'll take lunch. But what about the GOP itself? And here's what made me think about it again, most recently. Your piece, Speaker Fight Sheds Light on the GOP's Main Problem. And just to be clear, the question that we've been asking each other, you know, have you seen enough? You know, is it time to put a fork in them? The core question is, is there a Republican Party? Does it actually exist anymore? I said a couple of weeks ago, I don't actually think there's a party there. I think there's at minimum two. By the way, I mean, I don't think that that's some unique point of view. I think a lot of people have that opinion. I think that you probably agree with that, but you might have been a little bit nervous to just flat out say they're done, put a fork in them. You've seen enough. You're calling it. And this piece that you wrote, Speaker Fight Sheds Light on the GOP's Main Problem. The inability of House Republicans to elect a speaker explains quite a lot about their party. They have no common purpose, he wrote. That's why Republicans had no platform in the 2020 presidential election. That's why they can't pass a budget, and that's why they can't choose a speaker. Republicans can't put aside their disagreements and grievances in the service of a larger agenda because they don't have one. I got to tell you, my man, that's sounding like there's not a party. They don't have a larger agenda. They have no common purpose. That sounds like no party. You talk about how since Ronald Reagan, they had a coalition committed to smaller government and other things. George W. Bush presidency broke this coalition apart after bungling two wars. Donald Trump stitched together the pieces through cult of personality and an assist from the Electoral College in 2016, but has been breaking apart again in every election since. When Republicans run political ads, they just attack Democrats on inflation, immigration, and crime, but they offer no solutions to any of these problems. Today's Republicans want power, but they have no idea what to do when they actually have it. Have you seen enough? One way to look at it is
1: there are at least two Republican parties that are trying to call themselves the same party. There's this pre-Donald Trump party, which, as you just mentioned, was committed to smaller government, lower taxes foreign policy, of peace through strength. You know, those were core tenets of what Ronald Reagan used to push together that coalition that he had so successfully. And then you have the Donald Trump party, which is a more populist party. And populism, almost by definition, is not in favor of lower taxes and limited government. But the populists, they want an active government. They want the government helping the people. And they're not so interested in having their U.S. government active around the world, committing themselves to an active foreign policy and maybe even some wars here or there. So it's almost like these two parties have nothing in common. That's where we are. You've got two parties that have nothing in common. And when you work backwards, that's why they had no agenda in the 2020 presidential election. The Republican National Committee punted entirely on their agenda for that election. They just decided not to have one. And everything we've seen since shows that there's nothing that really puts them together. Go back to the 2022 midterm elections, there were campaign ads and those campaign ads against Democrats, they complained about high inflation, they pointed out the problem with immigration, and they pointed out the fact that crime was so high. But nowhere did any of those ads offer solutions to any of these problems. That's really indicative of this party. They know what to attack. They know where the problems are. And those are true problems that Democrats face because Democrats hold control of the White House right now. But Republicans don't have an answer for that. And so because there's no agenda, there isn't a single bill that they can put forward right now that they're eager to vote on. And so when they get in a room, as they have for many of the last two weeks, trying to figure out who their speaker is going to be, there's nothing that they want to pass that forces them to put aside their disagreements and grievances. And so here we are. We have two sides of a Republican Party that really don't agree on very much.
0: And I have an idea. Why don't we elect the guy as Speaker who's never actually passed a piece of legislation in his entire time in the House? I mean, it's like the West Wing, Chris. You couldn't make this script up. The reason he hasn't passed a piece of
1: legislation is he's never been able to pull together a coalition. And we're talking about Jim Jordan, by the way. We're talking about Jim Jordan, but that is entirely the Speaker's job. So say what you want about Kevin McCarthy. Was he a good Speaker or a poor Speaker? He did manage to piece together a coalition. It was a very weak coalition, which is why it all fell apart. But he pieced together a coalition. And how did he do it? He appointed conservatives to the Rules Committee. He gave the people who were opposed to him everything he could think of in order to finally get the votes. It took him 15 rounds, and he pieced together that coalition. But at least it was a coalition that lasted, you know, nine or 10 months. Jim Jordan is not even able to piece together as many votes as Kevin McCarthy did. It's a pointless exercise at this point, unless there's something cataclysmic that comes along that forces
0: Republicans' hand to actually elect a leader. I don't see Jim Jordan becoming the speaker. So let's talk about forcing the hand, because on on the one hand, we're all watching it and it's not funny, but it's funny, but it's not funny. And they keep having these votes and can't elect anybody. And it's bad comedy, but if you care about things actually getting done, it's not funny at all. And you can talk about, as you did a moment ago, that they run ads, campaign ads, political ads about immigration or crime or something like that. Well, okay, they're not solving immigration right now, unfortunately. That's a real serious issue. It really does need to get solved. But what about things that need to happen in the next week or the next three weeks? Ukraine-Israel funding, for example you know, another potential government shutdown, just trying to keep government funded? Do we just keep McHenry in the seat and he gets it done? Do they just keep renewing that? Like literally, how does anything get passed? Well, so I'm not sure if even you are up to speed. I know you've just gotten off a plane, Chris, but Patrick
1: McHenry is not going to get those powers that he needs. So that was a proposal that was put forward earlier today. We're recording on Thursday. And that was a proposal that was put forward by Jim Jordan. Many people thought it was an interesting ploy by Jordan to buy some time so that he could buy a few more weeks and be able to try to twist the arms of these holdouts and finally convince them to vote for him for Speaker. Most people thought, well, this is a logical solution. We already have a guy sitting in a chair. We'll give him the powers that he needs, you know, in order to at least pass some legislation, at least pass funding for Israel, pass funding potentially for Ukraine. And obviously there's the government shutdown. But what happened was in a four hour meeting on Thursday afternoon, everything unwound. One lawmaker, Pat Fallon from Texas, said that by the end of the meeting, two thirds of the House Republican Conference opposed the entire idea of having this caretaker speaker, Patrick McHenry. They realized the only way they could possibly do it is with Democratic votes and because there was going to be enough conservatives who would never vote for this caretaker speaker. So what do you think the Democrats were doing? They were also meeting privately, and they were talking about the concessions that they might make, the fact that they would want to pursue a spending bill at the same levels that they agreed to in the debt limit deal, that they would be a guaranteed vote on funding for Ukraine and Israel, and that they would also ensure that no Republican who voted to reject the 2020 presidential election votes was able to be Speaker. And they also wanted to make sure that that Speaker, a corollary to that, is that that Speaker would not be Jim Jordan. So the Democrats were gonna ask for all of this in order to get this caretaker speaker and Republicans absolutely went ballistic. By all reports, it was a very ugly meeting. Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates got into a shouting match. One other congressman, Michael Bost, lunged at Matt Gates. <laughs> apparently. I mean, these guys can't manage their own meetings, let alone the House of Representatives. Are primaries the problem? You know, that's a great question. And you know that I joke every once in a while or I say, let's bring back the smoke-filled rooms, right? The reason I say that is that we have this primary system where we choose our candidates. Each party chooses their candidates. But in the United States, very few voters actually vote in these primaries. It tends to be the most committed of the party activists who end up voting. They tend to be on the Democratic side, the more liberal side of the party. And on the Republican side, they tend to be the more conservative. And so the nominees that we end up electing are more polarized than I think if we put it to all the voters. And you have a situation where when the Republican Party doesn't agree on a basic philosophy at this point, you're electing people who are at the fringes of these two sides of the party. And they not only don't
0: agree, they think it's a sin to compromise. And the ones who are voting in the Republican Party, the extreme on that side, the goal seems to be to reduce government down to a level where it is essentially eradicated. I mean, this goes back to the piece that we were talking about at the beginning. There's not a platform. They don't stand for something that they want to accomplish. They stand for things that they don't want to get done. That's the extreme on that side. We can talk about the extreme on the left as well, because there is a left wing and they have certain goals. Those goals, I would say, though, are for things to get done that then you can either agree with or disagree with, but that side of the party is in the business of trying to govern, of desiring government to take action on behalf of constituents and of citizens. And then you can have a discussion of, you know, which of those ideas you agree with or don't agree with. But if the representatives who comprise the House are at risk of being primaried, there's a real challenge around who can actually run. Can you have then a House of Representatives filled with public officials who are looking to govern? And I want to make one other point on this. The challenge that primaries are creating to the system does not mean that we have to return to that. The primaries came about and transparency and sunshine came about because smoke filled rooms ended up being a really bad thing. You know, they ended up creating cities and processions of politicians who had to pay dues or pay more than just dues to the folks who filled the smoke-filled rooms. It didn't allow for a range of voices to be heard. It kept people out of the system. It doesn't have to mean going back to smoke-filled rooms, but it does mean that we need some really good thinking about what the next stage is. How do you bring together the benefits that were supposed to be there around primaries, the sunshine, the transparency, the bringing more voices into the system? bringing more people into the system. Those are all really good things. And yet those good things have ended up where we sit today, risking perverting the system.
1: It's an interesting thing, Chris, but I'm going to push back on your characterization of all these voices being a good thing because you know what's happened? We have weak parties right now. We have weak parties. And you know what happens when you have weak parties? You have someone like Donald Trump come along and take control of a party because there's no control. There's no power brokers, no people in that back room choosing candidates. Instead, what you have is you have a situation where it's a free-for-all and you have guys like Andrew Yang become presidential candidate or Vivek Ramaswamy become a presidential candidate, people who are clearly not qualified to be president, yet this is what it has. And it just becomes a big show. And whoever gets the biggest ratings on the primary debate stage, you know, all of a sudden they get 8% of the vote. And hey, look at this. I'm raising 10, 12, $15 million from people who saw me on TV. And yeah, I'm not going to be president, but boy, maybe I could get a... uh, Uh, anchor
0: position on MSM. Or 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 a cabinet yes, or a cabinet position. They're not even qualified for a cabinet position. No, no, they don't seem to be. So I agree that the outcome and the reality that we're sitting in is not desirable. My point was that the properties that we were talking about that existed when the country transitioned from smoke-filled rooms to primaries, so transparency, getting more voices, getting more people who have access to the system to run for office. the sunshine. Those principles are all outstanding. Yes, we're having this conversation. I I totally agree because we all look at what's going on and this started with the House, but you just brought it even to the presidential campaign. We can look at what's going on and say, whoa, 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 this doesn't feel like a stable system. This feels really unstable. I don't think the answer is going back to smoke-filled rooms. I'm saying we need the next evolution of where things are going, my question to you, I guess, would be, would you go back to smoke-filled rooms right now? Do you feel like we're in such a dire situation that, you know what, yes, you would go back to smoke-filled rooms, or do you feel like we need to figure out as a society what that next stage is?
1: It's an interesting question. Obviously, you have two different parties with two very different takes on this problem. So you've got the Democratic Party. And when Nancy Pelosi was speaker, she was a very strong speaker. You had plenty of diversity in the Democratic Party. You had people from all walks of life that represented districts in the Democratic Party when she was speaker. One thing that Nancy Pelosi would never do, though, is she would never let her most vulnerable members vote against their interests because she knew if she did so, they would simply lose. Their elections. And, you know, she was famous for saying, just win, baby. You know, if you need to criticize me to win, then do it. Let's go. We just want to win in order to keep our majority. You look at the Republicans, look at the 14 Republicans who represent districts that Joe Biden won back in 2020. What they were asked to do this week, and they've been asked to do it two times already, is vote for Jim Jordan, okay, one of the most extreme members in the Republican Party. And if you don't, we're going to primary you. So either vote for Jim Jordan or get a primary challenge from your right. Neither of those are going to help Republicans keep their majority. In fact, I actually think that the longer this charade goes on in the House, the more guaranteed it is that Democrats will win back control of the House because this is just a fiasco. It's an utter fiasco. And maybe Americans weren't paying attention to the first week maybe they haven't really been paying much attention this week, but it's starting to get very real for people. And you and I both start talking to people who don't pay a lot of attention to politics who are already asking, what on earth is going on? And they look at this and they basically conclude that Republicans are not able to govern themselves at all. They're not able to get any of these bills that we just talked about through. And so Republicans have much deeper problems, as we talked about at the beginning, which are that there's no consistency throughout the party. You know, they don't have what the Democrats have, which is this ideological scale that goes from Joe Manchin to Bernie Sanders. All of them are kind of rowing in the same direction. It's just that they have slightly different takes on how hard they want to row or which direction they want to go in, but at least they're going in generally the same direction the Republicans, you've literally got a split party who are going in two very different directions and it's just an utter mess. So I don't even think that smoke-filled rooms would solve the problems with the Republican Party right now. But I do think that if you had that establishment of the Republican Party picking their candidates,
0: guys like Jim Jordan would never have been in the Congress to begin with. I couldn't agree more. But the question that I kind of keep coming back to is so now what? And it's making me think at the beginning of this conversation, I forgot to remind listeners about the mailbag. I think I was just so enthralled by the fact that you were speaking on a microphone that was working. It threw me off. I couldn't even remember that we you know, have a mailbag as well. I would say if anyone has any thoughts on this question of, so we have the primary system that it's generating what we're talking about right now. There used to be the smoke-filled room. Where do we go from here? Another news item that's also making me think about this was the post-headlined poll shows Trump winning over swing state voters. A new Bloomberg Morning Consult poll finds Donald Trump leading Joe Biden 47% to 43% across the seven swing states. You posted this piece October 19th at 6.39 in the morning uh, on the eastern coast of the United States. Trump is leading head-to-head races in five of the seven swing states, Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Biden leads in Nevada, and it's a dead tie in Michigan. And Biden gets poor marks on the economy. Almost twice as many voters say Bidenomics has been bad for the economy as those who say it's been good, 49% to 26%. Among independents, it's 52% to 17%. What's going on here? First caveat, it's one poll, so we never want to
1: put too much into one poll, but nonetheless, it's an interesting poll to look at. Number two is that each of those swing states, the numbers of observations, the numbers of people that they talk to are fewer than the overall poll, but nonetheless, And then the third caveat is really that polls this early are not very predictive of an election where the candidates haven't even been nominated yet and the primaries haven't even started yet. So with those caveats aside, I do still think that there's something interesting in this poll, and that's mostly about how voters view the economy right now. Because that is something that we have seen repeated in poll after poll after poll. We know that President Biden has coined the term Bidenomics, which is supposed to make people feel better about the way things are. It's not working. And people are right to point this out. Inflation is coming down, right? That's a good thing. The Fed actually today said it looks like they're going to pause interest rate hikes because inflation has finally come down to a reasonable level. That's all good news. The problem is, is that when the average American goes to the store, they're paying around 20% more than things cost just three years ago. That's a problem. I was out to dinner the other night at a restaurant that we've gone to quite a bit over the course of the last 20 years. Go to the restaurant, I get the bill, and I was like, whoa, that's expensive. And you want to know something? It was probably about 20% more than I remember it being. And that's the type of thing is that while inflation is coming down and that's a good thing, and that is due to the policies of the Federal Reserve and perhaps the policies of the Biden administration, nonetheless, things cost more than they did just three years ago. And so when candidates, when Donald Trump asks, are you better off than you were three or four years ago, a lot of people are saying, you know, things are too expensive. And that's a problem.
0: And they are. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I was in California, filled up the tank twice. Each time was well over $100. I think it was $125, $140 to fill the tank. And I got to say, to your point about the restaurant, the other day I went to the grocery store, picked up like some fruit, a couple other snacks, a little bit of ice cream, because you know I'm not a guy who's going to pass the ice cream freezer without putting some of that into my basket. I forget what the bill was, but it was ridiculous. I had bought nothing. I actually feel it was at least 20% higher. And it's weird because, I mean, I buy groceries regularly, so it's not like it has come to me as a surprise, but it was like, once again, every time I go, it hasn't stopped being shocking. I was shocked when I went out to California and saw $6 a gallon for gas. That actually was shocking.
1: Here's the thing is that if you're at 30,000 feet, the US economy is doing better than every other Western economy right now. Inflation is getting under control a lot faster than it is in other economies. The economy is growing. The job market is really strong still. People have jobs, unemployment is low. All of those things are very true, but that can exist in an economy where people still feel like, wow, this is too expensive. You know, there was another interesting story that said, I think I got this from your newsletter, actually, Chris, which was the price of housing and yeah. what it takes to actually own a home right now. And you need to earn into the six figures simply to be able to afford a home in this country right now. And the vast majority of people in this country don't earn that much. And so that means they're not buying homes. And you know, all of those things used to not be true. So I think that Democrats need to pay attention to this and they need to stop dismissing the idea that the economy is not a problem because the economy is a problem for the majority of Americans, they're feeling it every day. And even though everything else is true, it's been getting a lot better. And a lot of the Biden policies are making it stronger. And some of them are building a foundation for what could be a very strong economy in the future. It doesn't take away from the fact that it's harder to afford dinner, it's harder to afford your living, you know, your rent's too damn high, Chris. You know, that's the age old question, right?
0: How about 8% mortgage rates?
1: That's what makes a house impossible I mean, for many people to afford. You yeah, know?
0: yeah, It is a problem. And I think that you are right. I think that Democrats have been too reflexively defensive about the economy's rate because, look, it could have gone out of control. You got to give credit where it's due. Inflation spiked. It went way above what anyone would want or what was sustainable, but it has come back down. However, it's left the realities that we've talked about. And yes, Democrats at their peril will ignore the fact that the economy, and it just makes them feel out of touch, makes them feel like, you know what, actually, now that we're talking about it, it reinforces the negative stereotype of elitism, that they're not in touch.
1: Well, you know, keep in mind, a year ago, most economists were predicting that we would today at the end of 2023, that we would be in recession. Well, that didn't happen. You know, the fact that that didn't happen really is due to some very strong economic stewardship by our political leaders. And Joe Biden takes a lot of credit for that. But the same can be true that people are hurting. And while Biden does show that he understands that when you have auto workers on strike and he'll go on the picket line and he'll feel their pain to use the Bill Clinton line and he'll understand their concerns, that is tremendous. But it's really more than just union workers. It's really every American is going to the restaurant, is going to the gas station and is feel like, wow, it's taking a lot of money just to be able to afford the lifestyle that I had just three years ago.
0: Yeah. Well, my solution is if it comes down to a choice, I'm going to skip the gas and I'm going to go for the ice cream. Talk to you next week, Tegan. See you, Chris.